0: you generated $250,000 with a selfie. brett kaufman welcome to the it's not that deep podcast brother i appreciate it Thank it's been around. a long time coming man we've been trying to schedule this for a very long time i'm gonna take the blame for that i've just been swamped but it's amazing to have you here man we met at one of melissa's epic talks events And, you know, shout out to Melitza. I want to start this off by giving a shout out to Melitza and what she's done with Epic Talks because it leads to relationships like this and me meeting amazing people like yourself. And um, it's what this is all about. We live in Miami. We're, We're meeting tons of crazy, cool entrepreneurs all the time. And I want to kind of give you the floor a little bit to introduce yourself and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Before I do that...
1: I remember the first time we actually, I think, met was at the obstacle course. Right. Yes, yep. you and Jamie were both there. I remember Jamie crushed it on the telephone pole. Yeah. So for those that weren't there, we had to climb up this telephone pole which just had the handles and then balance on the top of it, like two feet on a small surface, and jump to, like, a
0: trapeze bar. It was crazy. Terrifying. Like, yeah. I
1: went up the first time, I was like, can't do that. Then I ended up going up again. But, yeah, Jamie was a beast that's a shout out to his athleticism
0: it's so funny and i hope i don't offend anyone with this but i call those types of things white people activities (laughs) when you put yourself in just extreme dangerous situations for no reason other than just to have thrill and joy and adventure but it was really fun i i loved that that day it was so cool connecting with um some of the people from melissa's inner circle and You know getting to know some of you guys so yeah that's right that is exactly when we first met Um, but talk to me man so you are an email marketer and copywriter Mm -hmm. you run Wellspring Media what is that what do you
1: do so we are the company that you call when your emails are stuck in spam and you want to get them into Gmail's primary tab so you can have more eyeballs on your emails you can make more sales
0: beautiful man that's i like that tagline you got it like down to like even less than an elevator pitch what a beautiful slogan and that's such a big problem right in in kind of the marketing world is you know you you gung-ho you're ready to go you want to start your email marketing you you know how valuable it is to have a list and then you start to send some out I' you know people start with something like MailChimp, which I'm sure you have uh, a lot of opinions on, and then they get stunned as to why are all my emails not even delivering. So how'd you get into this anyway, man? What made you get into the email space? Like, how does that happen? So completely fell backwards
1: into it. Before I became an entrepreneur, I was in bipartisan pro-Israel lobbying for half a decade. And it's just as much of a mouthful as it sounds. What my job was, was I was working for an organization that's job was to strengthen the U.S., Israel, and her allies mm. through lobbying Congress to pass legislation. Okay. And so my job was to cold call, cold email, cold text, uh, everyone across Florida, and then set up my own meetings and ask between $1,800 to $100,000 first time meeting them. Wow. and they, they, <laughs> That's a big ask right yeah. away, yeah. And unless you gave it the 100K mark, you didn't even get a tax write off. It was just like, uh, thank you, you know, one of those things. Mm -hmm. And what I quickly learned, what I got good at was writing emails that got people to respond. Mm. So before even knowing what email marketing was, I was like, how do I get this person to get get back to me? Because when we were pitching this, we would have to pitch it to someone as Republican, like as red as a Republican or as blue as a Democrat, Mm -hmm. but the same- Message Yeah, Yeah. it's the same offer, but it has to be said differently if like you and Jamie are on different sides of the aisle, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And that's where I understood copywriting, Mm -hmm. using words to sell, and then making sure someone replied to my email to book meetings, which is deliverability, which we can get
0: into. Well, I've told you this before, but I mean, I have just so much respect for copywriting as a craft, as an art, because like at first when I got in the business, um, you know, however many years ago, i didn't even know what copywriting was i spelled it wrong i spelled it like you you probably hear yeah, yeah, it all the time the legal like, way the legal way yeah. i'm like yeah like i guess i need copywriting for my website and like people make fun of me and stuff <laughs> but anyways i remember um learning a little bit about it and and people talking to me about these sales letters mm-hmm. and and learning from i don't know dan kennedy or, yeah. or you know these types of people and i'm just like wow this is some interesting stuff like who the hell is going to read all of this, right? That was like my first thought. But then I found myself for certain coaching programs and things that I was being marketed towards that I was reading them. And I was like, no, like this person's like one by one hitting all of my objections, all of my desires, all the psychological triggers. So what do you think it was that made you good at that to begin with? I mean, like, you had to have had some kind of skill in in writing in sales and persuasion to get people to click another email that again probably would have ended up in spam
1: yeah uh i think for me and this feels good for anyone that grew up in the same way i actually grew up as a terrible writer okay like i did not do good in english i had to flirt my way through with the teacher in order to get a passing (laughs) grade it was not good but what i was good at was sales, and when I was doing that job, I was just describing. After every meeting, I would come back and I would just write down everything that they said. Their objections, why they invested, why they didn't invest, and what I started to do was just create a running doc of that. So when I started to write emails, I just pulled from that doc. Mm. And then when I became an entrepreneur, I would take, sure, I would take a copywriting course, but when I was on a sales call, now I would just record the call. And then I would transcribe the call, put it into otter.ai to get the full transcript, and then mark up the page. Like if Mm. it was green, it was their hopes and dreams. If it was red, it was fear. If it was blue, it could have been something that they like have a question about. Mm. And I just started organizing Google Docs. And then what I found got me good at it was that I would just pull what they said and say, well, if 10 people bought with these common Uh, similarities why wouldn't the next 10 Mm. so this just became my master doc nice so i learned later how to craft a well-written sentence Mm -hmm. but from the beginning i was like let me just write down literally every single thing
0: they said pro and con why Mm. they did or did not buy from me that's interesting man i've never heard like the marking up like that that's really cool so what were those what were those again you said there's fear there's Fear is red, mm-hmm. green is like money and hopes and dreams, mm-hmm. and
1: blue would be like a question where you kind of like an objection, a question. Mm. Anytime I hear them be like, "Can I have clarification?" Mm. or like, "I'm not sure," yeah, and I'm like, "Okay, something I did not say something
0: cleanly enough to There's them." More, it was more like a logistical thing. It was more like they're just trying to get clarity on like what you're saying, as opposed to more like a positive or like, a, "Okay, exactly. that's that's a really cool framework, man. I'm gonna start doing that." Yeah. So like, if anyone listening today record your sales calls, mm-hmm. transcribe it with Otter AI and then mark it up. Like yep. That's like Tom Brady watching game film. That's you going back and starting your craft so i like that that's already i mean we're only a few minutes into this pod and getting insane value man so we're done we can leave that's it Thank we're you done guys. here guys thanks for coming to this not that deep no but um uh, it's it's cool man i i really like that kind of you know you've taken that and now you've created a whole agency out of it and you're doing this for so many clients and you know i was checking out some of your results and okay you've got some crazy case studies and things that you've done for clients one of them is you generated two hundred and fifty thousand dollars with a selfie. I want to talk about this. What 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 did you mean by that story? So, in that instance,
1: we understand that it's being personal with someone that gets them to buy. And so one of the things we love to do is with clients is that you want to make it as personal as possible. So with the selfie, as an example, we had a picture taken and we had them send it out to everyone. And the best thing is, nowadays, you can do this so much easier than we did. You can leverage AI. So you can leverage the picture being sent to someone and then have the AI actually change it to be like, hey, Deepak, mm. hey, Jamie, all like just quick little change of it, and you can just send it out over and over and over again, but it feels personalized. Mm. So again, going back to our previous example, I knew exactly what they cared about, what their pain points were, what they wanted to be solved, and now, well, beforehand, we just have to like have the person re-record every time, which is, oh my gosh yeah now you can just plug into ai and just really fast so that's how that one happened
0: that's really cool yeah i like that now that's kind of even morphing into video now Mm -hmm. and like that's the ai is like changing the landscape from a whole i was gonna ask you this later anyways but since we're already on the topic how are you finding you know all of this this ai stuff impacting your industry So I love it because it really
1: helps get rid of those people that are not taking it seriously and enhances if you are taking it seriously. At the stage we are with AI, it will produce B, C plus copy. Just like a good prompt in and out, right? Plug it in chat, get out the results. For you to get to A, you still need to know how to string together the ideas, have the big idea behind it. So what we're doing is that we're taking our frameworks and we're putting into ChatGBT to shorten our writing process. It doesn't replace the process, Mm. it makes our research faster, Mm -hmm. and it makes the first draft faster. Right. But what takes it from okay conversions to phenomenal conversions is a great story. Mm. And until it knows how to write fantastic stories, you still need to engineer that. You still need to make sure that you can tie it together to make the person feel like they're reading a movie mm. when they're reading your emails, your ads, yeah. your sales pages.
0: Yeah, and it's it's injecting that emotion into it, and that's kind of very similar to like the model of what we do with our clients. Exactly. Um, you know, it, it's the same kind of thing, just in video format as opposed to written. And what's really cool about like tools like Chat GPT and and, and all this. You know, these things that are coming out is that yeah like well there's a lot of hype and talk about it and people there's fear around it as well like is it going to replace me this that the other thing but at the end of the day you do need that human touch to like people feel that you know you know a tweet that's going to perform that just comes from you know actually telling a real raw story versus something that you know, was this been cooked up through Chat GPT? You can feel that. we We can still tell the difference. Now, the gap is closing. Yeah, I will say that, but you know, I, I really liked your answer there that um, you know, having that attention still is like that extra sauce. it's It's the spices on top yeah. that you need. Um, so that's really cool, man. You've got a, a bunch of other crazy ones. One here's how a single email about olive oil made <laughs> me forty three in a week. Let's talk about the 43K a week, because that's impressive. So my partner,
1: John, uh, that so we have an email list of 43,000, and he loves olive oil. Came from one of our incredible clients, Cassandrino's Olive Oil, who when we worked on their larger project, did about a million in a month for them through their email list. But this one was an affiliate email, and a meeting from Cassandrinos to our own list. Mm -hmm. The reason why it did so well was the story. Mm -hmm. The story was that John was at his house, his friend came over, because his friend was leaving, wanted to put food in the fridge before Mm -hmm. he left, and he was like, oh, I have this olive oil you have to try. And so then John tried it, and he was like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever, and then wrote his list about how delicious it was, and then they bought. Why did they buy? There was the trust there and it was the story. Not like this thing's great, here's my experience. My friend came in, barged into my place, demanded I try this, I was hesitant, it blew my mind, now you have to try it. Mm. You're getting authority that's recommending it to someone else to buy it.
0: That's really interesting, man. It's that story selling. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and that's something that you can kind of draw along so many different industries, and that's why I think it's really cool hearing about how you go about it and how we go about it, because there's a lot of similarities and kind of overlap with it. It's just a different vehicle, a different medium, right? Mm-hmm. What, we're, what we're doing is so focused on the short form video, but the principles are the same. And that's, so that's really interesting, man. Yeah. Um, it, w- while staying on kind of this whole email marketing thing, for people who are just kind of starting out... Now, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Like, I'm asking this for me. Yeah. We don't have an email list. Okay. So we're kind of like the opposite. Like We, we over-index on, on service delivery for our clients and just collecting case studies like Infinity Stones, and we're doing just crazy things for our clients, which I'm really proud of and happy about. But we don't have an email list, all right? I've been <coughs> I've on hundreds if not thousands of sales calls at this point. I have a lot of emails, but I don't have anything to send these people. Where does one start crafting an email marketing strategy? I mean, for you guys, easiest thing is transcribe your videos. Mm. Your
1: content is so good when they watch you online. Dude, transcribe that, piece it together, meaning clean it up, the ums or whatnot, just make it sound nice. That right there is an 85% of your email. Mm. Because if someone's resonating from it on social they're gonna resonate it from it on email
0: interesting
1: the difference with email is that you don't run the risk of god forbid your Instagram being shut down for whatever reason because it changes so fast yeah, now. yeah seriously. and you have ownership of it for life
0: that's the beautiful thing I mean uh, one of uh, the people in the space I'm not sure if you know Phil Rivers yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so Phil Rivers he's is a, a, a client a, of ours
1: he's a client no yeah, way back in the day we met Phil in Nashville in 2000 oh that,
0: that's like a crazy 20. crazy small world uh, he was a client of ours as well and still a really good buddy of mine, yeah. I, I love phil I, I got nothing but praise for that dude um but yeah w- we worked with him and like i've learned so much just casually observing from the distance about email marketing and stuff and he puts out all these tweets all the time about like you know email marketing and the copy and yeah. everything that's involved with it right but yeah it's it's ownership you know yes. if if zuck wants to shut down your your God. accounts tomorrow are you leaning too much on social and do, do you wanna run that risk? I'm scared of that, you know mm. what I mean? If, if that happens to some of our biggest clients or it happens to our accounts, we're gonna have to kind of scramble and get to email. So that's something I've always found, you know, with, with podcast listeners, with an email list, you own that. That's yep. something that, you know, Doesn't matter if everything else shuts down, as long as I have an internet connection, I can get my message out to my people. So that's a beautiful thing. But in terms of strategy, like let's say someone like myself comes to you, what are kind of like the first few questions you ask to get like a better understanding of what type of content to make anyways?
1: Yeah, so well what do you think would be interesting for your audience to know like all the dirty secrets of getting into the primary tab and making sure that people read. I mean, whatever you're
0: willing to share, you know.
1: (laughs) i always like to ask first, I'm not sure, but, because the content, so, we started out as a copywriting agency, and we've been doing that for over a decade. And I will go on record, like I am now, and say, if your email doesn't deliver, it does not matter how good the copy is. Mm. So we've actually shifted to being like, how do we make sure that deliverability, which means getting into the inbox, is so damn good and so high, because then, yeah, okay, great. Then it's a numbers game. Exactly. Yeah. So you need both, but if you just focus on copy, okay, so, because I was just, I, we were just on a call with a client, this was a, a sales call, now he became a client an hour ago, and um, he was saying, oh, my open rate's like pretty good. Open rates are a misnomer, which means if you're like, I have even a 50% open rate, people are like, I'm the king. Okay, but- what it really comes down to a successful list is broken up into hyper-segmentations. Mm. What that means is, let's say you have um, 100,000 people on your list. Okay, and let's say you have, what you really want is that each person is probably slightly different. So what we do is we categorize it. So you could have 10 lists of 10,000 under your main list. Okay. So instead of emailing everyone, you have automation. You're breaking it up in a, you're and you're testing it out with a... Exactly. group first, okay. Because each automation is slightly different because that person could be a beginner, more advanced, farther advanced, the hottest person. And you have to talk to them slightly different. Mm -hmm. It could be a mom trying to start a business. It could be someone our age trying to scale. Like Mm -hmm. you can't have the same email to them so, your open rates are actually, like, you don't, if you mail it to your entire list, you're missing out on a lot mm. of opens. If you break it up into tiny subset lists, then you get higher open rates because Gmail's happy with you, because mm. it's gonna land in primary, because you're sma- mailing to a small amount but high opens, mm-hmm. versus a large amount and low opens. Ah. And then you get people excited to read from you because they know your email is specifically tailored to them.
0: Mm. And
1: therefore, they can be like, what's the next thing? Cool, so, so
0: without getting too technical, are you creating a bunch of separate domains? So like if oh, I, I have deepsocialbrands.com, that's what we use for yeah, our yeah. whole team, for our internal inbox, all that type of thing, right? If I have an email marketing team, is, is what they're gonna do is create like Deep Social Brands Brett or Deep Social Brands Inc. And, and like all these different domains to send out? And that, like, how does that work? That's, that's a fantastic question.
1: You always want to have different domains. It depends on how many you want to have. Mm-hmm. So for example, anyone that's not your super hot buyers and the way you know that's so with tracking you can have in your email service provider, we recommend sending them to a different domain and then sending it so a different email is gonna be emailing them different domain. Why? Because it protects you.
0: Mm-hmm. We don't- You can't burn your main one, which yeah. would screw up a lot of operations, right? You're right, for those that don't know what
1: that means, burning your domain would mean I couldn't even email you if we're in the same company, because it just won't get delivered. Yeah. And that's like, what are we doing here? Yeah. So, um, so what we do is we take our ice cold, meaning someone hasn't opened in 60 or 90 days, put them in a separate domain, email them differently. Mm -hmm. If you're hot, you can stay on the main domain. If you're medium, depending on the overall list size, you can be on that one. But exactly, you want to have different domains and you're emailing them differently
0: to protect yourself. I like that. So the segmentation, having different domains and tailoring the messaging Mm -hmm. for each as well because you want to keep google happy yeah yeah. so that's 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 really interesting is there any other like kind of high level things you want to share about that and this will piss off all the setters in this space (laughs) but there are some one of
1: my favorite things last month we took a client from thirty five thousand to seventy thousand all from people on his list seven of so that was 16 sales last month was eight for context um seven of those people came through something called browse abandonment now, some email service providers let you do this, where you can have automatic follow-up go to someone that clicked the link but did not take action, meaning book a call or something like that. It's different than uh, a cart where they have in their checkout mm-hmm. but don't do anything. This is, let's say it's a sales call, I click the link to go to your calendar, don't do anything, mm. and automatic triggers emails go out to you that will never stop until you respond, you can set up that way, and the email will never forget to send, like a setter could. Mm. And the seven people got this follow up sequence and said, "Oh shit, I need to book a call." Went back, booked a call, became a client.
0: Wow, so that little <laughs> tweak and automation right there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Sorry, setters, appointment <laughs> setters out there. That kind of makes you redundant. <laughs> but, I, pay, I don't have to pay the email. Yeah, the email. I don't have to pay it. It just yeah. does its job. You know. That's really cool. Is there, if you're allowed to talk about it? is there a certain software that you use that, that you recommend for this yeah. type of thing so go high level is mm. great uh, convertkit is great ActiveCampaign is great
1: MailChimp is shit don't do <laughs> MailChimp um, I learned that the hard way, <laughs> <once>. <laughs> the hard way.
0: but do, those three Clavio oh, Klaviyo is really
1: good but Klaviyo is more for for e-commerce Phil stars. Rivers
0: was always talking about Klaviyo he was a Klaviyo wizard yeah. um, that, he, that's the awesome. king of Klaviyo is Phil Rivers <laughs> but um yeah so we just got on go high level so that makes me feel really good and we just started like we cleaned up our whole funnel and and everything and i'm proud that we're finally launching all that and these automations and stuff like honestly like as a business owner up until now we've just done things such a scrappy way it's like hey man here's my number we'll get on a call Mm -hmm. let's meet for a bagel and brickle like let's like whatever it is right like we'll we'll I've just been doing it kind of the janky scrappy way right but now turning this into an actual company you know not just a you know a business a small business I'm now geeking out on things like this like I'm so interested in the back end stuff I'm like oh it's really cool how like one little trigger can do this and these seven emails get sent off and then this can help for no shows and I can see how it all connects and it's like this like matrix and i feel like dr strange mm-hmm. just like i'm like this is just so cool how it all connects but no no the the email marketing piece is huge man but i like how it all syncs up you got the copywriting the deliverability is important the software that you use but how do you think how important is the strategy oh, to all of this right 100 like wh- where do you like wh- how do you view the strategy on this because a lot of this stuff is like technical like someone's in there building out these flows and stuff, right? But like the strategy of it all, like how do you approach that?
1: So same way you would approach a sales call with someone that doesn't know you, where you have to build a rapport, build a relationship. So your first few emails, especially if you're doing an opt-in, you have to give them immediately what they want. Give them immediately what they ask for, otherwise they're gonna feel duped. And they're like, "Uh, why am I here? So what you want is your opt-in to solve the problem. So that first email needs to be like, hey, here's exactly the thing you asked for. And then the follow up, second email needs to say, did this solve your problem? And if it didn't, what else do you need for me to solve it? Because you gotta build that good trust like from the beginning. After that, the strategy is, hey, here's other ways I can help you and here's more about me, tell me about you. Mm. Like you do on a sales call. Understand their pain, build a relationship. And then eventually what you wanna do, what we always tell our clients in the first week, you have to pitch them. Uh, because you already built trust and you wanna make sure that they're gonna be used to reading your emails, used to getting value, used to an opportunity to learn from you. You know, I have a a mentor that says, um, it's unethical if you truly believe you can help someone to not pitch them. 100%. So if you wait too long, they're going to be like, ah, what do you want from me? You're not telling me anything. So in the first week, we build, tr- we solve their initials. Too s- much job, no right hook. Like, exactly. yeah, exactly. I get it. Sorry, so, continue. No, saying. So the formula is like first first two emails, solve the initial problem. The uh, like second, third to like fifth email is like building rapport, meaning a little bit about you, a little bit about them, explain how you can help them other problems, and then going right into the main offer
0: that you have. Got you. Yeah. 75 million dollars generated for your clients so far i'm sure that number's probably even even bigger now but bro that's crazy let's talk about that for a second from from a high level i want to kind of hear your business journey as a whole what are some of the highlights there of of working with clients and making that much money for them i would say my
1: partners are probably the best highlights because i have two partners that are not only just phenomenal writers but incredible incredible humans and what I enjoy is that our space can be like pretty broy at t- from time to time. Yeah. And these guys have taught me just how to be like such a great gentleman and how to like be more in touch with my emotions which brought out being a better writer. Mm. And what what one of my partners loves to say like read between the lines better. So what is this What is this sentence actually trying to tell you? Mm. What's the meaning Not just the it?
0: words on the email, but the intent, reading between those lines. I like that a yes. lot.
1: And the way I pitch is different than John. As an example, John's a founder. He's a best-selling author five times over. Um, and when he when he pitches, it's it's coming from like more of a, it's like a soft pitch, knowing I can like help you, where mine, which I tailored it differently, used to be more like analytical, here's exactly like Mm. the process. But with his, you can feel like the emotions, the story behind it. So I learned so much how to incorporate beautiful stories into how I communicate Mm. now, because he literally gets paid to travel around the world telling stories. So that has been a huge driver of our success, because our clients come to us for personality, driven copy and emails. Because mm. they know that once it's delivered, then it's about great copy. And great copy is great stories.
0: It's it's establishing that trust with people because there you're already starting off the relationship with someone when you get an email, and anytime you opt into something, you're already starting it off on usually not the best foot. Yeah. You're already like, look, I'm asking for something from you. I'm asking for, Probably one of the most intimate parts of your phone is to be in your email, which all of us entrepreneurs are refreshing like all the time. crack all day, yeah. and and you know you're in there and you're fighting against that unsubscribe button. Yep. You're you're fighting against their time. You're fighting against all these other social media apps. For attention, and the thing that's gonna get them to actually stay with you, and I know this because I'm—I've stayed loyal to a few. There's a few um, things I'm subscribed to that I just will never unsubscribe to, even if I don't open every email yeah. or read each one. When I do, I get so much value from it, and it invokes such an emotion in me. And that's really kind of the next thing that I wanted to talk about here, which you already touched on, but everything boils down in this this sales game of, you know, fucking making these decisions based off fear or based off some sort of emotion Mm -hmm. or logic, right? Like, hey, this like makes sense for me right now and here's why. So that's something that I've seen time and time again come up in my business journey. Now for you, you're having to tie, like, you know, with, with all the stuff that you're doing, you're having to tie the service delivery, which we know is out of this world, back to kind of the OG skill set of sales, yeah. right? So you're, you're pitching all the time, you're getting clients, you said just an hour before this, you close the deal, right? How are you balancing kind of being the, the, doing the sales and then also the integrity of keeping the, the actual craft the service so top tier? That's a great question, too. I
1: I struggle with that, and what I recently rediscovered was like I want to be very hands-on on the deliverability side because it keeps me as fresh and sharp as possible. You get more reps. I get more reps, I get to understand it, I get to get in the weeds, and some of the best closers that I know, it's not following a script, it's because they can explain all the technical stuff to you and hold space for you to overcome objections and make you feel safe. Because mm. when you combine those two things at that point, it's just you may not trust me, but I gave you all the information and, I, and I'm and i holding space to overcome your objections. So it helps with close more deals. So now I have, um, one of our VAs is phenomenal. He helps me a lot on the deliverability side, but I always make sure I'm hands-on with, on that front because I want to know what's changing with the algorithm, what's changing with the spam filters, and I'm always testing so I can go to clients and just show them Here's our list of mm. forty-three thousand. Here's how we went from twenty percent open to sixty percent open. Wow! Here are the changes. Here's what. Here's what didn't work. Here's what worked well. And it just that's the best case study you can ever give someone.
0: Of course, and people can feel that and see that that hey, you're not just this guy who's paid to close. Yeah. You actually are in the trenches. You know what's happening, and this the industry's changing all the time. Yes. There's always. I mean, even we we've got some guys who send out some emails for us, um, like. Cold traffic type of thing. And um, it's crazy to hear like the deliverability issues can happen some- one week and then next thing everything's fixed and then there's workarounds and all this stuff but I like to hear that they, they are actually in there getting ahead of these problems because like, yeah. they're going to exist regardless so I, I loved your answer there man I want to switch gears a little bit I know we were, we were talking very very marketing stuff uh, on this podcast today but that's not all you are man you are a salsa and bachata dancer we've talked about this a few times as well you like to keep things spicy you like the Miami lifestyle yeah. You like uh, you like the odd Latina. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about how you got into salsa dancing, my friend. Also, so do you. I mean, yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is what we can bond over very well. Um,
1: so when I was 24, I was in Fort Lauderdale, and I remember I was driving home, and I was on the phone with my parents, and I was just talking to them about whatever, and they brought up the fact they're like, "We can pay for your first round of salsa lessons or golf lessons." And I was, like I said, 24 single. I'm like, what is a better ROI for me at the time? <laughs> so I want to hang
0: out with crusty old man yeah. or <laughs> It's
1: like, that's good for business, <laughs> but So I chose Salsa, and I remember I went, I found a great studio. Uh, he's still a good friend of mine and I went to two classes, and on the second class he dragged me out to a social. Now a social is where you'll go somewhere where everyone's there to dance. Not like at a club, but like to practice dancing. Mm-hmm. So people walk up to, like a man generally walk up to a woman and say, would you like to dance? It's, it's, it's like formal, and um, I knew like nothing. But I went, and uh, I, see, I remember I, w- I, I saw this like big dude, like probably at least like pushing almost 400 pounds, like not someone you would think would have the confidence to go out there and he walked up to the most gorgeous woman I've ever seen at that time and asked her to dance. Any normal setting, that person will get rejected so fast, but she like, hesitantly is like, all right, fine, I'll dance with you, and they start dancing, and there's a part in Salsa called Shines where you're facing each other, but I'm not holding your hands. We're both like doing our own moves in mm. the six steps, so I can do something different than what you're doing, but we're still on count with each other, and then I can pick you up and continue, And this man starts flapping his wings like a bird. And because that's part of Shine's, he's expressing himself. And you could just see the passion and confidence you had. And you could see she was eating it up. She was laughing. She thought this was the greatest thing ever. And I remember, and I, and then they the songs ended and I think they ended up going home together. I saw them leave the, the venue together. I was like, okay, I see you. And I remember that moment, I was saying, if this guy could do this, which stereotypically should not be able to do it, I can do the same thing coming from the dude, white dude with two left feet. And I fell in love with the challenge of learning something new. But more importantly, I fell in love with the fact that in our jobs, we're very analytical. We always have to be on logically. Yeah. When I dance salsa and bachata, I don't have time to think.
0: No, it's flow. It's all flow. It's don't think.
1: Yes. It's feel, all feel. It's all feel. That's and, so cool. And I have to be able to communicate to my partner what to do without thinking what to do. And
0: so I have to learn how to lead better, trust better. And like you said, just feel it out. Yeah, that's one thing when... Uh, I mean, first of all, beautiful story. Love that, man. Um, when I... I lived in Colombia for a little while. So during COVID, I, I moved down there. And I was living in Medellin and I had made a bunch of friends there. And I remember, you know, I had this kind of story that I told myself always, this kind of limiting belief that like, oh, I don't... I don't, Like, I don't dance. Yeah. Like, no. Like, like I, I grew up a football player. Like, I don't... I'd go to the club, but I'd do... The most minimal... Like, yeah. I'm not dancing, bro. I'm not going to do that because it was just, you know, the, not, not something that I wanted to do to express myself. It I was like a, maybe a, a gender stereotype in North America to like, hey, look, guys don't really dance. Like, yeah. I'm not going to go out there and bust a move. But I come down to Latin America, and it's it's completely different. All the guys dance. It's like from from a young age, everybody, guys, girls, everybody's dancing. It and it doesn't even have to be this sexual thing. It's just a thing yeah. that you do, and. Everyone would get together in in these, like, kind of evenings, kind of like a mini-social, even, like, a few people just having drinks together, and they would just dance, and the dancing was the thing, that was the thing that they were having fun doing, and I was like... They're like, oh, no, no, come on, dance. And, like, some of, the, some of my friends at the time were like, no, no, like, you have to dance. I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. Like, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to do all yeah. that. Like, you guys have fun, though. And it's, it's like that kid who doesn't get in the swimming pool type of thing, right? And they're like, no, like, you have to dance. It's not that hard. And they showed me a couple, of, like, bachata moves, and yeah. I just got really into it. And I was moving my hips. I was moving my nice, body. Man. I was, like, getting into it and feeling the music. They're like, you're really good. You naturally have rhythm. Yeah. I'm like, "Ah, oh, stop it, guys. Like, you're just being nice and stuff. But I never felt like I had more fun and more flow and more passion and enjoyment, everything that you described, than when I just... Because what they would say, because I was so tense at first. Yeah. They're yeah. like, dude, let go. But, loosen up, just... Feel the music. I'm like, no, but I don't know what stuff to do. It's like, don't worry about the stuff. Yeah. Just do what feels right. And it's like that letting go is what lets you really enjoy it. And I found myself looking more forward to the dancing than usually I'd be more looking forward to the drinking yeah. or the, you know, whatever it is, like the the show or whatever we're doing. But now I'm like, I just want to dance. And I would be, we'd be switching and all this stuff. And I'm like, this is the thing i love it it's addicting it's very addicting man. we found ourselves in a great city for that as well Yeah, being in miami it's like latin america in a lot of ways that's kind of one of the last things i want to talk to you about on the podcast today man how long have you lived in miami and what significance does the city have to you so
1: i haven't lived in the same spot more than two years since 2011 there's just been opportunities, just always moved around. So it's very good at meeting people, but it was hard for me to build deep, genuine relationships because yeah. I was like here and be like, see ya. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Miami, I'm now going into year three. Nice. I think year three, yeah, yeah, and I love it. This city has everything, a combination of just everything you could want. We just talked about like the Latin culture. I tell you guys every time I see you to come do 420 yoga with me, yes. space. Yes. It's such a unique city and I believe it's it's so worth the price of miami because it's like you're paying for a mastermind where people i used to only see on on the internet now they're literally in a coffee shop in Brickell or here and you can form relationships so fast with them yep and so you have the business for me i'm jewish a massive jewish population a great salsa community a great yogi community i'm like bro this is just
0: and seven. it all comes together and and yeah. that's, it's really cool man because you embody that i mean that's one thing that i really appreciate about you is that you are yourself and all those things, and you wear it on your sleeve. Appreciate what you see it. is what you get, you know and, and you know when, whenever I see you at these events, it's so cool seeing you, you networking, you growing your business, your community, but also staying true to the things that like you're passionate about. Yeah. So, so that's incredible, man. Um, we are gonna wrap this podcast up pretty soon, but I wanted to give you the space to do some shameless self-promotion of anything that you want to, anyone listening, it's not that deep audience (laughs) right now, what do you want to share with them? I'm gonna do two things. One, it's not not
1: as much a shameless promotion, the other one is, I'll do the business one first. Uh, like I said earlier, we're the ones where we get your emails out of the spam folder into Gmail's primary tab. There is so much money left in your email list. And if you think your current open rates are good now, imagine if they're are five, 10, 15, 20% higher, because that just means more eyeballs on your emails. Easy example, you have a 50,000 person list and you have 20% open, that's 10,000 people. If that goes to 25%, that's 12,500, 2,500 new eyeballs seeing your emails where well, the only other way of getting that is paying for ads, or hopefully one of your reels takes off. The idea is that this is already on your list and you never have to pay for it ever again. And that's the easiest way to make more money. The second thing is something that helped me drastically through a period when I was depressed. It's called mandatory happy moments, and I, I still do this today. We all have a very stressful life, and I do mandatory happy moments, which means three to five times a week, I have something in the evening I have to go to, even if I have a shitty day. The reason for that is if I have a terrible day and I do a happy moment, worst comes to worst, my day's neutral. Mm. If I have a great day and a great thing at night, I feel euphoric, mm. my day feels incredible. So for me, it's working out, it's salsa, it's yoga, it's just like doing things like this, it's epic talks, it's just something you enjoy that makes you happy, but you have to schedule it in your in your week and make mm. it mandatory, because worst case scenario, it's neutral, best case scenario, you are living on cloud nine.
0: Wow, that is beautiful, I'm stealing that, Brett. <laughs> that, that's amazing, mandatory happy moments. I love that, brother. Thank you so much for coming on It's Not That Deep. It won't be the last time. Nope. Uh, I'm glad we were able to co- cover, you know, a plethora of topics today, but it's not that deep. It's not that deep. Thanks for coming on the show, my brother. Appreciate it. Thank Where you, man. Where can people find you? Ah, yes. Instagram, Brett, B-R-E-T-T,
1: Kaufman K-A-U-F-M-A-N. The number's 26. I'll give it
0: to you to drop in the show notes. Exactly. Appreciate you, brother. Just remember, guys, it's not that deep.